Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson again today. Good to be with you. And we have a busy show. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, some very important topics. We're going to be talking with Todd Neely with DTN. We're going to get the latest on right to repair legislation. Also, the latest update on an ongoing battle, Waters of the U.S. We've got the latest on WOTUS. We're going to talk a lot about markets and economic uh, news here and in China and around the world with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. That's coming up. And we'll get the very latest on the uh, the debt limit, the budget situation in Washington, D.C., and Farm Bill as well. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse. He's based right there in our nation's capital, and we'll be talking with him, getting updates on all that a little bit later in the program. So glad you're with us, and we're going to start things off by going to Minneapolis, where the U.S. Meat Export Federation Spring Conference is uh, kicking off, and joining us is the uh, chief economist for USMEF, Aaron Bohr. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Good to talk with you again. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Great to be here. You, you'll have a lot of things to talk about. I know you've got good news and you've got some things that you want to keep people aware of and about perhaps future opportunities for uh, meat exports uh, around the globe. Let's start in, in the European uh, Union and what's going on there with their pork industry. And is that providing any opportunities for us to sell more U.S. pork into Europe for a change? Oh, yeah, it's a great place to start. It's probably the big change as far as the global balance sheet this year. And I don't know if I go as far as saying opportunities for U.S. pork in Europe. That might be a next future mm -hmm. step. Uh, we have a lot of trade barriers into that market for starters. But but yeah, they're our biggest competitor. So the EU combined EU27 is the biggest pork exporter in the world, second largest producer after China. And we were up against pretty cheap European pork in all of, quote unquote, our markets from mid-2021 until late last year. And so they would really been undercutting U.S. pork around the world, and we lost some market share to them. So last year, EU production decreased by 5%, but that was mostly offset by the decrease in Chinese total import demand. And that meant you know lower European prices everywhere. And the change didn't start to really materialize until late last year. We finally saw some increase in European prices starting around November as far as their pork prices. And then so far this year, production has been running down more like eight to 10%. And the forecast for annual production this year is to be down another 5%. And so the total decrease, at least for the forecast for European pork production this year compared to the record high of 2021 would be a decrease of about 2.45 million metric tons. Wow! So a big swing, yeah, for the biggest pork exporter. So as you said, that, Im that impacts markets around the world. When I asked about selling pork into the European Union. I get that was wishful thinking. Obviously, that's pretty tough sell. But if they have less to sell, that does create more opportunities for us in in markets around the world that we compete with them in. Exactly. That is the key. And partially because, again, we've we we saw an increase in Europe's market share in many of these mm -hmm. importing countries around the world. So it's an opportunity to kind of win back that U.S. market share and, of course, hopeful for future growth as well. But just that kind of recovery in U.S. competitiveness um, is what we're seeing play out right now. And it still takes time. We're hearing yeah. here from the trade that Europe is still cheap on the middle items, the ribs and the bellies. And so that's that's where we really need to move product. We don't typically export heavily. Obviously, we usually prefer those those products, those cuts here in this country. But right now, those are the push items. That's the weak part of the hog complex right now. And we need to be able to export more on the ribs and the bellies. So there is momentum. There is traction on those items in some places. But yeah, we're also hearing Europe is still lower priced than they should be. 
They're always a tough competitor, that's for sure. We're talking with Aaron Bohr, Chief Economist for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Let's switch now, Aaron, to uh, beef. Uh, we know our cattle herd is really, really uh, low right now, the low numbers. And will this, with the smaller herd in the United States, how's that going to impact our beef exports, which have been very strong? Yeah, and that's a great you know, starting point is the perspective. So we had record production, record exports last year. We set new highs for the share of production exported really the last two years. So on just muscle cuts, we pushed up above 13% in 2021 and 2022. So even though we were producing record volumes, we were still exporting a bigger share. So we had tremendous domestic demand, tremendous international demand. And now we're, you know, we're dealing with kind of a new set of cards, um, smaller US beef production, a rebound out of Australia, a challenged consumer kind of everywhere. But surprisingly, beef demand has held up pretty strong. And mm -hmm. I think there's um, a bit of a misconnect. So in the international markets, they saw their price that they're paying for not only U.S. beef, but really all beef peak last early last year, early kind of around January 2022. So there was kind of a shift in momentum. It took some time to play out. But by about October last year, you had some inventory build in the markets. You had lower prices. You had some kind of confusion about how strong demand was going to be in a bit of a post-COVID world. And then China lifted their zero COVID restrictions. There was some optimism. Then it kind of still took some time. But we have seen those international prices move higher. And that momentum did shift. We saw it in the March U.S. export data. And um, hearing, you know, kind of, again, mixed reports, but some stronger demand for U.S. beef internationally, again, knowing we came off record highs last year. And so we have forecast a decrease in U.S. exports for beef this year, forecast down 4 to 5%, and contrast that with pork, where we have a forecast increase of 8%. But we have seen a complete flip in kind of the positions of those two products um, in the world market this year. But the important thing on U.S. beef is that we still see exports accounting for that high share of production. So we have exports at 13% of production again this year. And they continue to add that value, which I think is even more critical in these cycles, you know, or as critical as ever, I should say. So the packer needs to be able to pay the feeder for, you know, more expensive cattle to send the signal to the cow-calf guy that we need to expand this herd. So the maximizing the value of every animal we produce is as important now as it is ever. And you cannot do that without exports. So it's getting that foreign customers competing bid. And, you know, things like the Asia items, the short plates, the chuck short ribs, um, hanging tenders, not to mention the variety meats to really add the value to every animal. And I hear in the country, you know, well, production's down. We don't even need to export. And that is that could not be farther from the truth. Um, exports, again, super critical to maximizing the value of these animals. And we're pretty penetrated in these international markets. So I see them bidding hard. Always, uh, always important, uh, those international markets, those global markets, and uh, good to hear that the demand is still there, and we just got to find the best ways to meet that demand, and in case of pork, the European Union to, uh, to compete with them. Thanks, Aaron. Good to talk with you again. Thanks so much, Mike. USMEF Chief Economist Aaron Bohr joining us here on AOA. Stay with us. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. 
It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. All right, Mike Adams sitting in today for Mike Pearson, who will be back with you tomorrow. We're joined now by Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, just like old times, good to talk with you again. Yeah, it is. Thanks for having me on today, Mike. How have you been? I've been well. Uh, just keeping busy and working hard and seeing where things go. You know, I, I find it interesting in retirement, and then I come back and do a show, and I uh, look at the issues discuss, that we're discussing, and, and some of them are the same issues we've been talking about for years and years. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I mean, it just seems to recycle. You know, that's kind of how we feel, I think, too. It just seems like the same old issues keep coming up and we keep putting out fires, so to speak. Well, some of the issues, though, even though they're still around, they are they are moving, progressing. There are some changes. And, and one of those is uh, the right to repair legislation. You know, this has been a big topic of debate and controversy for many, many years, but we're seeing some movement on it now. Farm Bureau got behind it and and, and pushing some of it, and we're starting to see in, in different states uh, some legislation being worked on and passed. Yeah, Mike, you know, this past uh, few months, we had, a, we had a bill in Colorado, in fact, um, signed into law here just like a few weeks back, uh, basically the first ag right to repair law. Um, not really sure how that's going to play out because you know we've got 49 other states so how do the how do the manufacturers deal with it well they've they've been signing memorandums of understanding with american farm bureau and and uh so it's it's really kind of uh i i think this almost looks like a piecemeal thing that's going to kind of take place as we go along you know there's a lot of a lot of push in other states to have laws similar to the to the ag law in, in uh, colorado and um if this is going to play out on a national level, I think still uh, probably getting Congress involved at some point makes some sense. Um, you know, it's really right now, like I said, it's, it's just kind of all over the board and a lot of different ideas in a lot of different states. And um, I do think, though, that eventually something will have to come out of this nationally. 
um, some sort of legislation or, or otherwise that might, you know, answer the broader question for, for farmers across the country. Yeah, even though you said the words uh, getting Congress involved makes sense, and that doesn't sound sensical <laughs> in, in and of itself. But you're right, at some point, uh, to maybe have some, uh, you know, uh, some certainty across the country, because you're going to run into some all kinds of issues and questions when it's different state to state to state. But uh, it, these things take time, and uh, to get this far has been quite a struggle. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do think that, you know, the, the Farm Bureau is on to something here. I mean, they've, they've been dealing with a lot of these companies and, and reaching these agreements. Um, and those agreements include uh, allowing farmers and independent repair shops to uh, to pay to pay for some of these diagnostic tools that, that mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, a lot of farmers and, and others have been uh, pushing for in the court, court of law. and um, you know, this, I think it's a good step. I mean, uh, I don't know on the ground how things are going. It's something we still trying to figure out how many people are actually buying into these subscriptions and, and using the diagnostics themselves, you know, how, how, uh, how broadly adopted it might be adopted. And it's not going to be for everyone, but for those that want to, uh, certainly, uh, They'd like to have that opportunity. What are, what are you seeing from the the equipment companies and uh, and dealers out there? Uh, are are they more open to the idea? Uh, you know, I think uh, you know, as, as I said, there's a there's an ongoing antitrust legal case uh, involving a number of farms across the country, John Deere, um, and so there's there's a legal side of this too that the companies I think they kind of have to. You know, like a, they, pretty much walking a, a tight line here to, to, uh, to make sure they're giving farmers what they need. And, uh, you know, the, the, the equipment companies, they have an interest to protect when it comes to, uh, you know, safety features on their vehicles, emissions, uh, emissions uh, issues, things that, you know, could have like broader effects on how some of the ag equipment actually runs. Uh, and some say, you know, safety is a big issue, obviously. And so I think you know they're trying to they're trying to give farmers and independent repair shops what they can give them, but I I do think that you know obviously they've got a legal interest too that they need to protect. So we'll see how it progresses. It may be slow, and if Congress gets involved, it may really get slow. But uh, at least <laughs> steps are being taken. So we'll see where it goes from here. Talking with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, you've you've got a story, interesting story about some strange uh, some thefts uh, from packing plants. What's going on here? Yeah, Mike, last summer, uh, in fact, it was kind of a, a Nebraska story where it kind of originated. Uh, we had the Lancaster County Sheriff, which is uh, the eastern part of Nebraska here. Uh, they uncovered some some thefts involving uh, these three men who had been going around to packing plants and basically scouting out, uh, you know, trailers that maybe were left, uh, you know, unwatched and maybe had frozen frozen products in them. And so... They would actually, they've been going around, and it's not just Nebraska, it's South Dakota, it's Minnesota, it's Iowa. There's a lot of states that were involved in this uh, middle of last summer on into last fall. Uh, and they were stealing frozen beef and pork, uh, and they were basically selling it off. Or, or we're not, You know, we're not real clear on totally what they were doing with it, but uh, they were eventually arrested in a traffic stop uh, by the Tennessee Highway Patrol, I believe it was last summer. Um, and so they they were uh, up for charges and you know waiting for trial and uh, here in the past week or so they uh, they reached some plea agreements. These three men have uh, pled guilty to transportation uh, stolen goods. Um, you know they could have got they could have got a lot. They still could get up to like ten years in prison. But at this point, uh, the prosecutors in this case are recommending like a year and a half to two year sentence for each of for each of the men and they're. Uh, they're all from South Florida, the Miami area, and so it's quite a story. They went all across the country, you know, for a solid six, eight, ten months uh, doing this. And uh, so, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of getting toward the end of that. They're going to be sentenced here, I believe, it's July twenty sixth. Hmm. All right, so we'll watch that. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on WOTUS, Waters of the U.S. And wow, when I think back to all the years we've talked about this and we had the rule that agriculture didn't like, and then all the work to get it improved and uh, yeah. better. 
And then now we've kind of turned the page back with the, the Biden administration kind of uh, doubling back on some of the things that agriculture had thought we were passed and had gotten rid of. And here we go again. So what's what's the latest on WOTUS? Yeah, well, Mike, you know, we've got a we've got an injunction against the rule in, in a total of 26 states. Uh, we had a court in North Dakota that issued it, uh, issued an injunction for 24 states. And then in southern Texas, we had uh, Texas and Idaho getting an injunction from that court. And so what we're seeing now, the EPA filed an appeal, I believe it was yesterday, uh, with the Fifth Circuit Court, and that would be in New Orleans, uh, trying to get the court to review the Texas decision in Texas and Idaho. Uh, so far, though, we haven't seen the other uh, – EPA has not filed an appeal in the other court, which involves nearly half of all the states. Um, I think the biggest thing now, uh, you know, outside of the court issue is the fact that we're still waiting on the Supreme Court to issue a ruling in Sackett versus EPA, and that will go a long way in determining, uh, you know, how how the agency can govern wetlands. And so, um, you know, it was a whole big thing. There was a lot of debate about whether EPA should have been putting out this rule before the Supreme Court issued that ruling. but honestly, either way, EPA is probably going to have to go back at some point and at the very least make an adjustment to this current rule if it survives in court. And so bottom line is it's still a mess. And so um, yeah. I think ag groups would like to go back to the Trump administration rule, which they thought was a lot more simple to follow and to understand. Um, I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon, but uh, definitely there's some there's some big things to be had out there. And top of the list will be what the Supreme Court decides. Yeah, we're back where we were with different court rulings, different rules for different states. Uh, we're back to that kind of confusion again. It is, you know, and and just uh, just the Clean Water Act itself, I think, is very very complicated for farmers and ranchers. Uh, you know, a lot of people, not just farmers and ranchers, a lot of industries deal with these questions on a daily basis. You know, what's what's jurisdictional and what's not jurisdictional, and it's. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Biden administration rule probably has not answered the questions like, um, you know, they were advertised. And so, um, you know, I think at some point, probably again, here we're talking about Congress, they're probably going to have to take this up and and try to answer these questions um, legislatively. Kind of falls under that category. The more things change, the more they stay the same. That's kind of what it is. Exactly right. It's just a repeat and recycle, and here we go again. All right, Todd, good to talk with you again. Take care. Yeah, you you too, Mike. Thanks. All right, Todd Neely with DTN. Lots to talk about. We'll talk markets and economic news, budget situation, impact on markets. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. All three wheat products closed higher yesterday, but all three are lower this morning with Kansas City taking the brunt of that. Yesterday, markets got a boost from the report that Russia was not allowing Ukraine's largest port to receive vessels, and Russia is reportedly slowing down other ship traffic as well. 
Soft red winter wheat yields in Illinois are now being estimated at a whopping 97.12 billion bushels per acre by the Illinois Wheat Association, which exceeds the USDA's forecast of 78. Ukraine's grain exports have fallen by 4.6% so far in the season. That began last July with wheat exports declining by 18%. Europe's largest nuclear power plant located in southern Ukraine is currently under the control of Russian forces, while forcibly employing a small group of Ukrainian workers to sustain the plant, even as missiles periodically hit in close proximity. Now, that plant lost all external power for several hours on Monday, requiring backup generators to cool reactors to prevent a major radiation incident. That was the seventh time that the plant had been completely disconnected from the electrical grid since the Russian invasion 15 months ago. And there are even unconfirmed reports that Russian forces have placed charges on some of the reactors that could be detonated if they are forced to withdraw. Now, this could have obvious catastrophic human implications, but an event like that could render a large area of highly productive agriculture land unproductive for decades, and that's the connection to the commodity sector. Risk premium tied to the war has largely been removed from the grain and oilseed markets. The trade now reflects expectations that all will continue as it currently operates. Global milling wheat supplies are tight but adequate, with plenty of cheap Russian supplies still making it onto the market. Global corn and soybean supplies are expected to increase in the year ahead, with limited risks seen in the near term as Brazil harvests record crops. Now, the status quo is contentment until something else changes, and that hasn't happened yet, and it may not for some time. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. All right, this is Mike Adams sitting in today for Mike Pearson. Mike will be back with you tomorrow. We're joined now by Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Always good to talk with Arlen. We cover a lot of ground. Arlen, how are you? Doing well, Mike. It's good to see you again. Good to be back with you as well. All right, so we got this budget situation where the debt limit and all this are going right down to the wire they can't even decide really what the deadline is let alone what they're going to do about it uh but this really impacts everything doesn't it? i mean when we're talking markets we're talking the economy we're talking about everything impacted by this it, it really does and the assumption is still i mean we've done this what 22 times before so the assumption is it's going to happen uh, but we've never been as partisan as what we are today and it's largely uh, a reflection of of congress so the leadership is very partisan because the people behind them are very partisan and it makes it even much more difficult to get an agreement down the middle because there's not many people left down the middle anymore. You know, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill were very far apart, but they used to regularly socialize together and maintain a relationship and they were able to work things out. We don't see that in Washington anymore. And therein lies the concerns in, in Washington and on Wall Street is 
they're playing with fire here. We're very close to the deadline. And what happens if there's a mistake that happens um, because they've called it too close? Now, in any negotiation, you get your greatest leverage right ahead of the deadline, and that's the way both sides are doing, but we don't want an accident. But my greater concern is beyond this. You know, we may get a, a, a credit rating reduction out of this if we put get too close to the deadline. We saw that in 2011. That raises interest costs on both public and private debt. That increases costs for all of us. That includes farmers out there with operating loans. So that's a concern. But longer term, if we stay on the path that we're on right now, we will have $42 trillion worth of debt four years from today. And the interest on that debt, the annual interest payment on that debt will be $1.7 trillion per year, which is as much as is projected they will be spending on Social Security per year, as much as they will be spending on Medicare per year, and more than we'll be spending on uh, national defense. That's unsustainable. And I'm not trying to be political here. I'm trying to get to the economic implications. That can't stand. So the only solutions are to raise taxes dramatically, and that is a harm to the economy, to um, cut spending dramatically, and neither party of Congress has shown a willingness to make those kind of cuts, or to monetize the debt. And that devalues a dollar sharply and is inflationary to commodity prices, probably looking at some combination of those three things. That's just four years from now, so that'll probably start coming to a head right around early 2025 or so, right around the presidential elections. Something to keep in mind that'll have an impact longer term on these markets. Well, there ends the problem. All the solutions that you just offered are things that people don't want to do. We we don't want to raise ta- well, some of us don't want to raise taxes, and there, I guess there are some that are pushing for that. But you know, raising taxes is unpopular. Cutting spending, if we say cut spending, unless it's what we're wanting, you know, what we're getting, so we don't want that cut. So it's hard to come up with a solution to this. Yeah, it really is. And when you have zero interest rates, which we had for a number of years, that's the mess we get ourselves into because we could borrow, 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 and it didn't cost us much because interest rates were near zero. And even at the consumer level, we built up a lot of consumer debt at that level as well. Now that interest rates are going up, and we heard J.P. Morgan's uh, CEO, uh, Jamie Dimon, say this week, be prepared for the possibility of 6 or 7% interest rates. And I agree with him uh, that that is a possibility. And uh, so that's just going to inflict that much more pain on the debt that we've been accumulating during this long period of zero interest rates. Isn't it safe to say that whatever they come up with, and I think they will come up with some kind of a deal, almost have to, uh, it'll be more kicking the can down the road, and it just you just wonder how much longer can we do that? Yeah, it's going to be time to pay for that can getting kicked down the road here in the next couple of years, and that is going to have implications for the markets. Talking with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. All right, uh, we have uh, planning progress numbers out. We know there are weather concerns out there. Um, but the markets have not been exactly robust, certainly, as of late. What's the mindset here? What's the driving factor behind the markets? Well, overall, the assumption is that everything's fine. We've taken out the war premium. Um, And I say everything's fine. Everything's fine as far as supply and demand, having enough supply to meet demand, because the market believes that we're going into recession. It's been worried about that for the last year, and it's been trading the assumption that in a recession there's lower demand for commodities, which is more true of some commodities than for others. Um, So it's looking at supply and demand within that light. There are some significant risks to that, but the market doesn't care about those right now. Um, More specifically, it doesn't really care about the risks that are in the Black Sea, and I think those risks are probably greater now than they've been at any time during the war. There is growing dryness in the Midwest. That is typical when you start an El Nino. You tend to have a drier June. I put out in in my client commentary yesterday, looking at the analysts, 
analog years of switching to an El Nino, what June tends to look like, and it does tend to look drier in the heart of the Midwest. But then we get an active thunderstorm activity that starts up sometime in, in the last half of June, typically into July and August, that gives us our moisture. We get milder temperatures, uh, northwesterly flow out of Canada, and we do tend to get good crops overall, and that's what the market is assuming at this point. And so the pattern right now is the path of least resistance is lower. Rallies are being sold until something changes those dynamics. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier this week uh, on Monday. I said markets, traders, assume a good crop until they're absolutely uh, proven that it's not there. Uh, they're going to assume it, right? Yeah, and we need to remember that it's not just us being the big boys in the world market anymore, that Brazil trades off the Chicago market as well. And I've done a couple meetings with Brazil producers here over the last 10 days or two weeks, and they're undersold on their production. And so they too are very worried and they're looking for rallies to sell. So that's that much more production. In fact, there's the Farina corn crop, which looks to be over 100 million metric tons right now. Uh, normally they'd be about 45 to 50% sold on that crop, which they're just starting to harvest the very early fields of that now. But this year, they're only about 30% sold. And so they're looking for those rallies sold as well. And that just makes it that much more difficult to sustain rallies. All right. I want to talk to you about China. You're well connected there. You have people on the ground there that you're in constant contact with. We know about the, uh, the political tensions between the U.S. and China. But what, what's going on behind the scenes, uh, their economy, their society, the policies that are going on there that we should be aware of and watching? Their, their economy is really struggling. Coming out of COVID, the expectation was that their economy would be unleashed. But they have a similar problem to what we've battled in this country, a lack of consumer confidence. So their consumers have been willing to spend things on services and convenience, but not big ticket items. So that means car sales, uh, you know, things that cost durable goods, so to speak, as well as land and property. And property is a big part of their economy there really been slumping and kind of getting worse this presents some real challenges to the leadership of China right now because as the consumer spending less their income is going down the labor situation unemployment's going up that means their local governments have less revenue to operate off of it as well so they're running into some deficits there's a, a cry for stimulus but they don't have money in order to do stimulus they can print money absolutely but if they stimulate at a time when we're tightening, that tends to weaken their currency and weaken their currency at a time when they're trying to have their currency seen as the strong one versus the dollar to replace the dollar. So they're facing a little bit of a challenge and their geopolitical challenges from the West are increasing as well. For a while, they had the momentum being seen as a leader in the world. But now that momentum is tending to switch and more countries are starting to stand up to them, kind of joining the United States. And that's creating some problems for them as well. And in Taiwan, that's, that's a situation to always watch. Absolutely. That continues to be a threat. Um, they do not want to have a military conflict over Taiwan, but if they feel threatened or pushed to it, they will do it. And they have promised that they will take action to take control of Taiwan, and that'll certainly trigger a response from the West. Arlen, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, Mike. All right. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. So we're going to get the latest uh, coming up next on uh, what's uh, going on in Washington, D.C. on these budget talks. And also, what about the farm bill? Where are we with that? Uh, Spencer Chase with AgriPulse is based right in our nation's capital, and he's following all this, and uh, we'll find out what he's hearing. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, 
empowered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. 
1-800-227-1616. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And again, it's Mike Adams sitting in today for Mike Pearson. And right now we're going to our nation's capital to get an update on some key issues. Joining us is Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Hi, Spencer. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing great, Mike. It's great to be with you again. Good to talk to you again. All right. Uh, the budget talks. Uh, looks like they're going to take this right to the deadline, even if they can't even decide what the deadline is, but it's going to go right down to the wire, I guess. Yeah, at this point, I thought there was a there was a publication that's based here in D.C. that put it pretty well this morning. The, the talks are waving back and forth between uh, wildly productive and nearly breaking down. Uh, that's kind of where things are, really. Uh, it's sometimes they'll sit down and have really good discussions and make a lot of progress, and other times, uh, negotiators will storm out of the room and, and say that they're just still so dang far apart. Uh, it, it's really hard to to kind of actually get a read on the situation at this point, but I, I don't hear either side getting too vocal about the fact that uh, there's just not going to be able to come to any kind of a deal at all. W- would I say that that's totally uh, off the table? No, but both sides seem to have some optimism that a deal can be reached. But let's keep in mind the House has this 72-hour rule where legislative text needs to be available to members for 72 hours. So, of course, uh, whenever they do come to an agreement and translate it into a bill, they've got three days to deal with before the House can act. The Senate then needs to act. And let's also keep in mind this June 1st deadline is, is really right around the corner when you consider all of that in. So time is, is really of the essence here. I know this has been part of the debate, but didn't it used to be the House would pass a bill and it'd go to the Senate, they'd pass a bill, you'd conference it, they'd go to the White House. And it, well, what happened to that process? <laughs> I tell you what, I think the Farm Bill is really the only, uh, the, really the only piece of legislation that goes through a, a really formal and public conference committee anymore. Uh, nowadays, uh, frankly, and, and even Leader McConnell in the Senate has, has said this, uh, the Kentucky Republicans certainly no shrinking violet when it comes to policy matters. You know, looking at the situation, it's really, in his eyes, the president and the Speaker of the House that need to come to an agreement on this. And because once those two bodies, or once, you know, those two folks come to an agreement, really, the votes will kind of follow from there. If, if the president, uh, you know, a, if a Democrat president and a Republican Speaker of the House can find some level of middle ground on a compromise, that'll pull enough votes from both parties to actually uh, get something across the finish line. Of course, we need to still see that happen, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's you know, it, once the politics work out, that's kind of the, the read of the room at this point. Well, we'll see what they can get done or, or not get done, but uh, they are running out of time. All right, let's go to the farm bill. Any reason to think the farm bill will get done early or is it going to go to the wire or past the deadline? Well, I, I tell you what, the, the debt ceiling is really taking uh, all the legislative oxygen out of the room in Washington, D.C., and, and we saw that directly impact farm policy this week when the House Appropriations Committee was scheduled to mark up the bill that funds USDA and uh, FDA and CFTC, but they actually, that, that markup was supposed to be going on as we speak, but given the debt ceiling issue, they postponed that markup just to give the speaker more negotiating leverage. Well, at a certain point in time, these things still need to happen. And so really until the debt ceiling can get figured out, maybe they agree to certain levels of spending, uh, future spending cuts through part of that agreement. Well, the farm bill is going to need to basically know what that agreement looks like before it can determine yeah. uh, you know, its budgets. Uh, a lot of things will need to be, a lot of things hinging on this debt ceiling, but I think it's important to note we don't have marker legislation from either chamber right now. They're still gonna need to you know, move a bill, conference a bill, a lot of things need to happen. September 30th is really not that far away. And so um, if it, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they could move something, but they're going to have to, you know, just legislate at lightning speed to make that happen. You kind of need to know how much money you've got to work with, right? Yeah, it's a, it turns out it's kind of a critical factor. And even going into this process, the, the Farm Bill drafters knew that uh, the budget was going to be a key factor. They had been asking uh, the Budget Committee for additional or I believe adequate resources was the term committee leaders used and uh, a lot of ag groups pushing for additional funding for things like higher reference prices through price loss coverage 
Of course, the rewrite of the Thrifty Food Plan at USDA means the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program is more expensive in this farm bill, which, of course, that's a mandatory program, not discretionary. So we can get into really into the weeds on, on political uh, nomenclature and, and jargon there. But basically what that means is the politics of the farm bill, it got way more expensive with that rewrite. And so it really makes it difficult if you're a conservative member of either chamber to vote for this bill just because it got that much more expensive, especially if folks are asking for more money on top to support some of these farm programs that, uh, frankly, the math dictates could use some additional support. So we wait to see what they can come up with on the budget. Meanwhile, EPA is now recommending that they delay the plan that would have put electric vehicles uh, into the, uh, the federal biofuel program. What, what can you tell us about that? So at this point, we're still waiting on some official confirmation from EPA in terms of its plans for incorporating things like, uh, you, know, um, you know, methane digesters and, and other things like that that would be used to power electric vehicles in the mines. You know, the, the, the original thinking of EPA, that's a renewable fuel because it's a renewable source that's powering an electric vehicle. Well, there were some policy uh, you know, concerns about that. And what we're hearing from other media reports at this point is that they are looking at taking that off the table in the upcoming renewable volume obligations. And that's going to set about three years worth of blending targets for the renewable fuel standard. And so they're, they're required by a consent decree uh, that they signed with Growth Energy uh, to have that out by mid-June. And so we'll know for sure at that point in time what they will be doing with that particular part of the program as well as what they will be set for blending targets for uh, conventional ethanol for advanced biofuels like biodiesel and renewable diesel. And so that's going to be the big signal is what we see coming out of the agency in mid-June with that announcement. Well, I guess we're all waiting for those signals, right? Right, all those signals. And right now we do know that the White House is looking over EPA's proposal. You know, under, under the law, EPA has to submit that proposal over to the White House for interagency review. Uh, the, the Office of Management and Budget has to send it back. And so right now we're waiting on that and waiting for EPA's formal rollout. All right, Spencer, I know you'll have uh, the latest on all that. We appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure, Mike. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communication. That does it for me. Mike Pearson back with you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Hi, I'm news correspondent Bob Woodruff. In 2006, a roadside bomb struck the armored vehicle I was riding in while reporting from Iraq. I sustained a life-threatening traumatic brain injury. The military term, got your six, means I have your back. And that day, our service members had mine. During my recovery, I learned firsthand the challenges facing our service members who return home with injuries. While serving, their fellow service members always had their six. Now that they're home, it is our turn. We started the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that the camaraderie and support they relied on in the military carries on, and we need you. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative and help us be there for impacted veteran service members and their families. They've had our backs. It's time we have theirs. Learn more at gotyoursix.org. That's gotyoursix.org. Using the number six. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 